this. Uh, right now we're in the book of Genesis, but going through this whole uh, story of God, the story of God all the way and looking at and trying to mark out God's pattern throughout all of Scripture and uh, just kind of seeing some of the, some of the things that, that uh, um, God is trying to accomplish. And I think one of the things that it, it's exciting, because if you look at a couple of weeks ago, we talked about God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we're looking at this, this creator God and I hope you've been following this because it's, it's, it's interesting because you start out with this God who is sovereign and is creator God, and then you move into a more personal God. In chapter 2, it retells the story a little bit, and you've got God who, well, if you remember, we talked about the Lord God, that, that personal name for God, uh, um, Jehovah, that gets introduced to us in Genesis chapter 2. And, and we've got this God who is, is wanting to have this relationship with his people, but then right off the bat, you all of a sudden you have this sin that comes up and takes place. And uh, Adam and Eve, they fall in the garden, not fall physically, but they fall out of the grace of God. And in the midst of that, God has to come up with a remedy for that because uh, God still wants a relationship with his people. And, and I, as I said last week, and I probably said it the week before, you know, that's really what we're moving towards all the way through the Bible, from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, is this understanding that God and God is always moving uh, after the fall of, of mankind, is always moving toward this redemptive story. And today we're going to be into this uh, looking at um, the person of Abraham. And, and we're going to kind of, uh, I, it's, it's, uh, what, I, what I really want to do today is I want to be able to stop and, and to, to kind of uh, soar over the book of, uh, of Genesis uh, some of the chapters, and then kind of drop down and, and kind of share a little bit of a of a snippet or some sort of a kind of a view or a scene out of Abraham's life, and then just kind of come up and then just drop down and, and to be able to look at some of those scenes. And but in in an effort in all of that, just to really follow this story, to follow this story of 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 redemption. And what I think that if you want to get the the most out of what we're going to be doing today, um, this is probably a little untypical of the way that I would do this. But we're we're really going to kind of uh, if you want to get the most out of it, I would just encourage you to grab your Bibles, open it up to Genesis chapter 12 right now, and just kind of kind of flip some pages with me, and we'll just drop down and talk about a little bit of part of a story and, and elaborate a little bit, and, and then we'll kind of uh, move on from that. But it's in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then he says, in our likeness we have, uh, let us make man. And, and then the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals or any other creature that God had created. And so the story begins, and then we have the creation, we have the fall, we have uh, this move towards redemption. Now, it's really interesting. Last week we had chapter, it was chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 um, last week, and um, it's interesting because really the story starts out with this God, again, creating the heavens and the earth and, and the universe, that, that full universe is in view. It's just all wide open, and... and but then it just the story starts to narrow and it becomes more personal. As I said before, he creates man in his, in his image, then it begins to narrow. It begins to slow down. And the next several chapters that we, we have, all the way up to chapter 12, is really, it's really a broad sweeping in terms of time. Um, you know, there's a lot of argument, uh, there's a lot of discussion about how much time really took place, when was the beginning, when was... And, and, and it's really broad. I'm just wanting to, you to kind of give that perspective. But, but then it, it just it, it begins to, to narrow now, or it continues to narrow down. And, and by the time you get to chapter 12, 
there's something that really I think that is dramatic and it's exciting that, that really it, 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 a change uh, that, that takes place in the story. And, and that is, uh, it's, a, it's a dramatic change because what begins to happen is, is now as it narrows down and narrows down, it begins to start talking about a very specific family, the family of Abraham. That his family will now occupy all of history, all of history until we uh, uh, come to his great, 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 great grandson. And that guy's name is what? Jesus. Oh boy, you guys are. And his name is? Jesus. Jesus. Uh, ten greats, grandson from Abraham all the way to Jesus. And that's, that's what we're really focusing on. It, it, the, the story always ends up with Jesus, and then it's what Jesus can do in our lives. And that's really the story of the Bible. So let's pray and we'll go home, right? Um, and anyway, so uh, what I'm going to tell you in there, in the midst of that, just in just a few chapters here, we go from Adam to all the way to Noah. Then we go from Noah's son, Shem, and it become, he becomes the important one, Shem. Uh, the Semites uh, become the Hebrews, or the or they become the the uh, God's people, or um, and then you go from Shem to Terah. He's the great, 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 great grandson of Shem. Terah is, and I want to pick up that story. It's there we pick up this story about Abraham. And what I want us to do today again is just to look at some snippets. But look at, let's just step back. Now I know you everybody at chapter twelve. Okay, and I want you to flip the page back just a little bit because we're going to go to chapter 11, verse 27. And it's up on the screen. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in, the Ur, in, in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Izcah. These are great places to get names to name your children. Um, look at verse number 30, and I want you to pause for a, uh, just a moment because this narrator has all of a sudden inserted a very important comment right here that you just don't want to miss. Verse number 30 says, Now Sarai was barren. And just in case you missed or didn't understand what he was going to say or what he's saying, he goes on to say this, she had no children. I think we got it, right? Now come to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, which is where the covenant story begins to pick up. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. We talked about that in Sunday school for all of our kids this morning. We were talking about how, how Abram was asked by God to leave everything that he had, just to, to get on his donkey and, or his camel and start moving. And he went a thousand miles and God didn't even tell him where he went. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed with you. Drop down to verse number 6. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give you this land. Now just wait one minute. If you didn't get the connection, do it now, right? 
Genesis chapter 11, verse 30, now Sarai was barren. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, to your offspring I will give this land. There is a major conflict that is going on right here. And, and this is, this is in, it's an impossibility, right? It's, uh, she, she doesn't have any children, and yet Abram's offspring, to Abram's offspring, all of this land is supposed to be given. And so the tension of this story just gets introduced in this chapter as we begin to try to see how this whole thing is going to unfold and how God is going to accomplish what God needs to accomplish. And so the story goes on, and they've left the Ur of the Chaldeans, and Ur would have been, by the way, it would have been a major city. This is, this is a major city, you know, um, that uh, it, it's, it's big, it's... it's uh, um, I, I don't know what to compare it with, but it's, it's major. It's, it's, it's uh, all the commerce and everything else is going on within the city. And they're heading to this place called Canaan, Canaan but re realize that Abraham, do Abraham doesn't know that he's going there, but that's where they're heading, and it's over a thousand miles away. And Canaan is not a major city. Canaan is desert. This is desert. God calls Abram and says, leave the city, leave this place that you call home and travel to this place that you don't even know where you're going to go to and I'll take care of you on the way. I'm going to take care of you. And so they travel a thousand miles and on the way they stop at a few places. They stop in Haran, they, which is a bit up north. They, they, they live there uh, and, and they stay there until his, Abram's father dies, Terah dies. And then Abram takes his family and he heads down toward Canaan. And this will, in fact, become, this area, this land of Canaan, will become the land of Israel. It will become the promised land somewhere in the, in, in the, in, in the faraway future, years away. Now, this, the, this chapter, it starts with, just chapter 12, it starts with, I am going to bless you. I'm going to make you into this great nation. And by the way, this is all going to belong to your children. That's the promise. I was telling the kids this morning, that, and, and uh, I think it was Barbie who goes, whoa, that's not good. Um, I, I said, we, we, we had, um, God says to Abraham, I need you to um, you look at all this. To, he gets to Canaan is what happens. And, and God says, okay, by the way, this is, none of this is yours. You have to live in a tent here the rest of your life. Abraham did not possess any of that land. That land was given to his descendants. And through those descendants, they would grow and grow and grow and become this great people. And that's really, but the promise is this will be for your offspring. Now, the chap, uh, so uh, now if, if, if you read through the, the, this particular chapter, you know what's going to happen next in Genesis chapter 12. There's a famine in the land. There's always famines going on. And, and everybody, so because of that, everybody heads to Egypt. And they get part of the way to Egypt, almost to the border. And Abram says, Sarai, you are absolutely gorgeous. You are gorgeous. And, and, and therefore, when we get there, you need to tell them you're my sister. If you want to do right by me, just tell them. Because if they think that you're my wife, they're going to kill me and take you. And so they get to Egypt. Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's officers say, wow, she's beautiful. And, and so they take her and they put her in Pharaoh's harem. And then all kinds of trouble started. And then there's this plague, and, and there's curses on this household. And he says, well, what's the deal with it? Oh, you're not his sister, are you? You're his wife. And so God curses him 
because he's taken Abram's wife. And so he gives her back, gives him all kinds of stuff, and send him, sends him on his way down the road. And I think that the oddity of this story here is that Abram, he comes out on the good side of things. Right? Abram comes out on the good side. He lies, he cheats, and the next thing you know, he's blessed. I mean, get used to it, right? Because that's the way that the story unfolds all the way through. Um, let me put it a simpler way. In spite of our sins, sometimes God will continue to bring his agenda and his, his plan forward. But I want you to notice something here, because I think this is so extremely important in this story. We don't, we don't have time to really unfold this whole thing, but all you have to do is just take a look at the, the, um, who the important character is in this story, and it's not Abram. It's Sarai, his wife. Oh, and one other, other character, uh, and of course that's God. He's a main character, right? But have you, have you thought about this? I, I'm, I'm going I'm to give your offspring all this land. I'm going to make you in this, into this enormous nation, and in fact, you're going to be the father of all nations. And the first thing that Abram does is what? He gives away his wife. <laughs> right? That's a problem, right? I mean, if his wife is in Pharaoh's harem... She's not going to bear children to Abraham. And, it, and it's almost as if God, God says, you know, Abram, you do all you want to do to try to mess this up for me, mess up this plan, but I will make sure that it works out. And what we see in the rest of the story is how God, has, uh, how God often has, has to come back. He needs to intervene and he needs to keep his story going. Uh, one of the things that I think to keep in mind as you think about the, this, this story, God's story, is that God never fails to keep His promise and He will do whatever it takes to see His covenant work out. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Well, the story begins to unfold then in Genesis chapter 15. So flip a couple pages over if you would. Genesis chapter 15. We have this promise here. I think it becomes more fully defined. Genesis chapter 15. We've got, uh, we've got Abraham as, is back in Canaan. Uh, we've had the story of Lot already. There's a couple of little stories in between. And, and here's what we read, Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my, or, uh, inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Do you think that Abram is getting a little impatient? I mean, it's only been 10 years. I mean, come on, God. I, I don't know. You've got to be thinking he's, he's probably on the right track a little bit. Wouldn't you be a little impatient, right? Then the word of the Lord came, verse 4, to him. This man will be, not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. That has got to be hard for Abraham to understand, right? I mean, I don't have any children, and yet you want me to count all of these stars? What? 
But look at verse number 16, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. I'm sorry, verse number 6. It's just kind of a, a passing remark here, but it, it takes up pretty pro, uh, a pretty prominent role within all of Scripture from this point on. To, Abraham, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And that, by the way, will show up in the New Testament. But it's here that we get introduced to the word covenant. He is going to make a covenant with Abram. In fact, what's going to happen is that they're going to do what was typically done in that culture to make co covenants. And, and this is just the interesting thing. They're, they, are going to, they are going to kill animals. They're going to divide the, two, the animal up in two. And it's almost as if you see this aisle here. They're going to put part of the animal on this side of the aisle and part of the animal on this side of the aisle. And, and the idea is really what that covenant relationship is, is that as you have these, these two sides of that dead animal, you walk in between. The person who's made the covenant walks in between those two dead sides. And as they do it, it's as if they're saying to themselves this, that as um, if I fail to keep this covenant with you, the same thing that happened to those animals is going to happen to me. That's really what that's all about. Okay? If I break the covenant, the same thing that should, hap should happen to me that happened to those animals. And so this covenant, uh, the covenant takes on this enormous importance. Now, what's fascinating to me in Genesis chapter 15 is, is, is who walks between those animals, right? Who walks through those animals? The covenant is between God and Abram. And in a dream, Abram sees this torch, he sees this fire pot, representing God walking between the animals. It's as if God has said, I am setting myself up in this, in this covenant. I'm making the covenant, and if I don't keep the covenant, God, if He doesn't keep the covenant, He's saying the same thing should happen to me as, happened as, as, as what has happened to these animals. He's not putting the burden on Abram, in other words. He's putting the burden on Himself. It's, it's God's way of saying this, I will keep my promise. I will keep my promise. I think it had to be tough for Abram. I mean, you notice that already. I mean, that, that trust has really got to be an issue, right? I mean, God says, I'm going to give you a lot of offspring. First thing he does, he tries to give his wife away. He tries to mess that up. He goes down to Egypt, and, and he, can, can you imagine that? But then he wants to turn his slave into the son who gets to be the heir, as if he just, just he can't quite get his, his, wrap his head and his hands around this idea that God might actually want to give him a son through his wife Sarai. I think Sarai, has, she has the same trouble keeping this idea alive in her mind. I mean, she's barren. I mean, they're old for crying out loud, right? I mean, they're 99 years old by the time this thing really gets resolved. He's 86 years old when he has his first child. He starts his family not with Sarai, but with Sarai's handmaiden, Hagar, because she, that was really the custom of the day. If you, if you can't have children through with, with your wife, then you're, you, you could actually have, you could actually, um, uh, have your handmaiden bear children for you. And so Hagar gives birth to a child. They call him Ishmael. And Abram figures, okay, well, it's, it's going to be through Ishmael that my particular uh, part of the, the, the promise gets, gets kept. But God says, no, it's not going to be this son. Come over to Genesis chapter 17. Look at verse 1. 
When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. And it's at that point he changes his name to Abraham and he repeats the promise, you're going to have a son and Sarai is going to be the mother and it's not going to be Hagar, it's not going to be Ishmael, you're going to have a son whose name is going to be Isaac. And lo and behold, he does. A hundred years old and he finally bears a son. And if you jump over to chapter 21 and verse 1, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. Remember her name has been changed from Sarai to Sarah. As he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. That that really should have resolved the issue, right? Um, Look at the next chapter, 22, chapter 22, verse 1. Again, the narrator is going to insert a comment here to help you as a reader to, to really understand what's going on. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, he says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Uh, what's about to happen is really, a, it's going to be a test. I mean, a, any, a, any parent who reads this story has got to be, I mean, of course, we know what it's like. We know what's coming and everything else. But for the first time coming upon this, you, you ought to be thinking about this as a parent. Um, if this were your son, if this were your daughter on that altar and asking you know, somebody to do that. But, so, but this is a test. Uh, verse 2, it says that God, uh, God says, take your son, your only son Isaac, and kill him. And, and, and th- I mean, does this not make sense to you? Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation, and, and, and through you I'm going to produce offspring, and you're going to populate the whole earth uh, like the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky, and, and it's not going to be through your slave, it's not going to be through uh, your, your handmaiden son, it's going to be through your only son, your one and only son, by your wife Sarai, or Sarah. His name is Isaac. I'm going to use him to populate the universe. Now take him up on the mountain and kill him. And God tested him to see whether he had learned to trust. Trust is a tough thing, isn't it? When God doesn't make sense, trust is a really difficult thing. And if you know the story, he does. He trusts him. He takes this, this young man. He's not a boy. He is, he is a young lad, some, uh, strong enough to carry the wood, Strong enough to make a three-day journey, probably a teenager, probably around 13, 14 years old. And together they walk up to this mountain. They leave the slave at the bottom of the hill and they travel a bit further and they go up to this mountain and he says, Dad, I see the fire and I see the wood, but where in the world is the offering? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says to his son, he says, says, "Uh, Isaac, God himself will provide And as he raises his knife over his only son, God stops him. And the story continues. 
And that's really the first installment. That's really, it's, it's, it's chapter one of Abraham's life, not chapter one of, the, of Genesis, but chapter one of, of Abraham. Now, then we move to chapter two. Let me just quickly kind of go through some of this because this is the son Isaac. There's a, a little bit of a story on Isaac here. It's, the interesting thing really about Isaac is that he really hardly does anything in Scripture. He's just kind of here. I mean, he marries Rebecca. I mean, you remember the story of Rebecca. Uh, Abram wants to make sure that, that Isaac marries somebody that's appropriate from the family line, so she uh, um, uh, sends a slave to, to find his, him, his wife, and, and, and there, there's this really fast, uh, fabulous story about feeding camels and all kinds of stuff, and Rebecca shows up as the key person in Isaac's life. They get married, and there's, there's just one rather interesting little tidbit that uh, we find here. If you jump over to Genesis chapter 25, I think what's interesting is that you notice that every major character is identified in a lineage. If you follow through Genesis, the book of Genesis, you have these little um, um, marks in Scripture that actually say, okay, now we're going to kind of venture into a new section, and now we're going to... And they do it by this little uh, phrase, this is the count of... Um, this is the account of Adam and Eve. This is the account of Noah. This is the account of, and it goes on, you know, this is the account of, of, of Abraham. This is the account of, this is the, um, it, it, it's, it's interesting that there is no, this is the account of Isaac. It's like he's a minor character. And yet in Genesis chapter 25, there's this really interesting remark. Genesis 25, look at verse number 19. This is the account of Abraham's son. Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham uh, became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he, when he married Rebekah, daughter of uh, Bethuel, the Aramean from, the, from, the, from Padan, Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. But look at verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. What does it say? Because she was barren. There is no accounting that lists Isaac as a key player but in the accounting of his life, we are told again, she is barren. We see Sarah, Sarah, or Sarai was barren. Now Rebecca is barren. In both cases, God intervenes and there is a birth. You remember the story of the birth of the children. Birth becomes a key issue in this whole lineage, in this whole line. Isaac's story is very brief. There is no Abrahamic uh, lineage to identify him in. But now, and this is just a side note, it's interesting to me that Isaac is a lot like his father. I didn't mention this to you before. Remember, I, I, uh, I, what I, well, I, I told you part of it, but I didn't tell you this. That on two different occasions, two different occasions, Abraham said, she's my sister of his wife. Tell him you're my sister. Two different occasions Abraham did that. He did that more than once. He, he did it twice. And, and now his son Isaac also does exactly the same thing. So he, he goes up before the same king. Actually, I'm, I'm not sure it's the same name and, and stuff, but whether it's the same king. I mean, the, the guy had to have been a dumb king because here comes his son and does the same thing to him, and he falls for it a second time. I don't know. But, but now his son Isaac, he, 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 t says, tell, he says to Rebekah, tell them you're my sister in order to save his own hide. I mean, things like that run in our families, you know? I mean, that's why I think it's so important for us who decide to, to make some decisions in our life to realize that we can change things. We don't have to follow bad patterns in our life. We can make a choice and we can change things if we want.
It doesn't happen for another uh, two or three generations, but it, it finally does happen that Isaac and Rebekah give birth to twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau is the older, the red hairy one, the one who is the outdoors man. He's the manly man. He's the man's man. Jacob, whose mean, name means people person, I guess, the, the younger and the more deceitful of the two. Um, but you remember that story, though, is that Esau is out hunting and he gets hungry and he comes back and, and Jacob's made this pot of soup and Esau's really, really hungry and he, he says, I'll tell you what, I'll trade you my birthright for this thing, uh, for this pot of soup. And so Jacob takes advantage of that and he steals his birthright, making him the number two or number one son instead of number two son, it, which means basically he just gets the double of the inheritance when the inheritance comes. But later on when it comes time for Isaac to die and for him to give that blessing... Mom and Jacob get into the story, and Esau goes out to hunt, and while he's out hunting, Jacob covers uh, uh, himself with some lambskin and smells like a lot of like uh, killed animals and his dad's favorite food, and, 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 and he lies to him about who it is that Isaac blesses and uh, who he is, and Isaac ends up blessing Jacob, and, blessing, and, and the blessing is rather fascinating. Look at chapter 28. Of this, Listen to the blessing that is given from Isaac to Jacob. Verse number 3, Genesis 28, verse 3. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful, increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May He give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. Jump ahead to, to verse number 14. This is a repeated promise now that Jacob is having this dream. We call it Jacob's Ladder. And in the dream, here's what he hears. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the, to the north and to the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I, I just want you to hear that repeated promise of how God is going to bless this thing into, in, into an enormous nation. Jacob, after stealing the birthright and then after stealing the blessing, he, he, he's going to run from his brother because he thinks he's going to, uh, Esau is going to kill him. And, and he runs and he runs. He goes to Uncle Laban's house in order to protect himself. And he discovers this drop-dead gorgeous girl. And her name is Rachel. Right? We know the story, right? And so he says, I'm, I'm willing, Laban, uh, Uncle Laban, I'm willing to work for her for seven years if you'll give her to me in marriage. And so he, the text tells a story. Seven years go by quick for him. They get to their wedding night. They turn out all the lights. They cover up the bride, which was typical. That was tradition. Jacob wakes up in the morning, and lo and behold, the text says that there was Leah. <laughs> it's not Rachel at all. Leah, it's, a, it's her older sister. The Bible says that she had weak eyes. Now, you can, you can call that in. I mean, I, there's, I, I don't know exactly. I guess uh, from everything that I've read on that, that basically means to be, needs to be translated this. It means she was ugly. <laughs> That's what it means. But I, I think that there's just some, really some irony in all of this, isn't there? I mean, the previous story has this blind Isaac who is blessing this deceitful Jacob, and now you've got deceitful Jacob has been deceived by Uncle Laban. And, and so he gets up, and after the week-long wedding celebration, he says, well, wait a minute. That's not what I bargained for. You cheated me. I want her. 
Wow. And so he says, they make out a deal. I'm going to work for her for, I'll, I'll work for her another seven years. And so he gets this, he gets Leah as a wife, and a week later he gets Rachel as a wife, and he works for seven years, and now he works for seven more years in the process, and, and, and begins to have these children, but he can only have children by Leah. And so they have all these kids, there are four of them, but, but Rachel is barren. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Rachel decides then, well, she's got it in her head. She says, well, if, if Leah can have kids and I can have kids, well, then I'll just give her my handmaiden. You, you kind of see why that's happening? And, and so she gives him Bilna. Uh, Bilna has some children. Now he has four sons. Then he has a couple by Bilna. And then Leah says, well, I've stopped having children, so I'll give him my handmaiden. And it's just, it's just, the, it's just the funniest story. And so he gives it. Zilpah has a couple children. So he, he now has a whole bunch of kids by a whole bunch of different wives and people. And Leah has some more kids and, and a daughter named Dinah. And then finally, Rachel is able to have children. And this favorite wife produces son. And son's, this favorite son's name is Joseph. And I want you to hang on to that because I want, we really want to tell the story of Joseph next week. Um, but there's really a lot of prosperity that really comes into Jacob's life. And you can kind of see how God is building up this family in spite of their failures, in spite of their just amazing failures. He produces 12 sons. Count them, right? Twelve. And, and, and you'll know that because that becomes uh, an extremely important part of the story later because those 12 become the 12 tribes of Israel through whom God carries out this, it is this great promise. But again, the, the story of Jacob, it ends with Jacob and his family in Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. And, and we're kind of back where we, we, where we started. Remember, that's the promise, the land of Canaan. Um, the story doesn't quit, quite end there. there there's, there's one more part of that story. Again, I want to focus on next week, the story of Joseph. But if, if you want to get a head start, just take a look at Genesis chapter 36, or chapter 37 through 50. Um, but we want to walk through the story, and it sounds a lot like this. God created the universe. He created man. Man fell apart. And God started a process of redemption. Don't lose sight of that. This is all a process of redemption. We're seeing it through the life. It starts with Abraham. Redemption came through, the, through Abram, Isaac, Jacob. And next week, we're going to see how that transitions with Joseph and the question that we have to ask is this, what does this story, uh, why does the story all of a sudden shift to Joseph? That's really why we have to ask, what we have to ask. And if you want the answer to that, you're going to have to wait until next week to find out. But, but here's really the question. Here's what I want to leave you with. What in the world do you and I learn from this? I mean, that's a lot of history. And I, um, what do we learn looking at this rather quick view of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I think we learn at least this. God will do anything, I mean everything, to protect His covenant with His people. Absolutely everything. God will do whatever it takes to keep His promise. That includes if He has to curse Pharaoh in order to get Sarai, Sarai out, of the, out, of, uh, out of the household. He will do that. If He has to miraculously bring children to those who have been otherwise barren, He will do that. I mean, you think about those two different things alone, and then you look at the problems that you might be facing in your life, or I might be facing in my life, and I say, man, everything is absolutely possible with God.
Say amen. We learn at least this. Trust is an extremely difficult discipline. Right? Trust is extremely difficult. When God does not make sense, it is hard. I don't care what anyone says, it is hard to keep trusting. And when God, when, when God has made promises like, I'm going to make you a great nation, but, oh, by the way, you can't have any children, it really gets tough to be able to trust Him. So as we close, what does all that have to do with you and me? I mean, really, seriously, what, is, what does it have to do with me? Well, I think at least it's, it, it, if it doesn't say anything, it, it says this, that because of God's track record, because He has proven over and over and over and over and over and over again that He will always keep His promises, and we've just seen this part of it, right? We've just seen the first 12 chapters of the Bible, and that's, already He's got this track record, but is... Since he has proven that, that he will always keep his promise, that is something that you and I can hang our hat on, right? What does this have to do with you and me? Well, I think it means at least this, that you and I, we can trust God because, we, because God is trustworthy. When the world lies to us, when people all around us are breaking their promises, when, 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 when all the chaos is, is all around us and we just don't know where to turn, we can be sure that the God of the universe, this creator, not just the God who, who has created and is, is sovereign over his universe, but this, this personal creator God, will always keep his promises because he loves you, he loves me, and he wants that relationship with us. And I want to end right there, but I want us to reflect upon this that, that this week. Um, let's pray together. Father, what an amazing thing it is just to recognize uh, that, that you are this God that wants to be close. Um, many people search all around in their lifetime for just different answers to whatever it is that they're in, searching to find their own way and everything, and, and, and we get lied to and we get cheated on and we get, uh, our, our whole world is just is dealing us a, a, a bag of goods trying to tell us that we can find purpose and meaning and, and, and everything uh, about reason to, to, to exist all from all the things that are surrounding us, whether it be mechanics or uh, toys or um, technology or whatever it is, wisdom, um, friendships, uh, relationships, all those kinds of things. And you're standing there the whole time saying, find purpose in me, just like Abraham, God, you tell us, hey, I will direct your path. Go, and I'll tell you where I want you to go. And that's so hard to do, because everything that we see with our eyes, God, is not something that we can trust in. And so my prayer is for us this week that we will trust, that we will trust in you. Help us to do that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.